Hey, I'm Heather, a chaos coordinator and mom of three young kids. Chaos and cookies is literally my life, with never-ending dishes, laundry, you name it. Being a mom is a blessing, but it also comes with hard days too. Together, we can find the humor and real solutions to lighten your load and clean up the crumbs. You're listening to the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies Podcast. Today, I have an author, a podcaster named Andrea Dunlop. She has quite the plethora of things that she does. She's a novelist. She does true crime. She's a mom. It's she's it's going to be a fantastic conversation. Uh, and just a quick, quick background on Andrea. Um, she's an author of many novels, including Losing the Light, She Regrets Nothing, We Came Here to Forget, and she has a novella called Broken Bay. Uh, in addition to her book, she is that host of uh, and creator of the true crime podcast, uh, Nobody Should Believe Me. And she lives in Seattle with her husband and two kids. And uh, she is in the thick of it. She's got uh, two under five. So, you know, it's, it is, I can empathize. So uh, before, um, without further ado, actually, we'll just bring on Andrea. Nice, nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, we're going to chit chat about lots of different things, but before we do, uh, my icebreaker, I ask all of my, my, my podcast guests is what is your favorite cookie and or cookie memory? Oh my gosh. Well, I will tell you cookies are my number one dessert. Like if you could just say, oh, you could only have one dessert for the rest of your life. I think nothing beats a good cookie. I feel like my favorite cookie and cookie memory. I just love a chocolate chip, like a good chocolate chip cookie, you know, maybe with some nuts in it, but like I could go either way. There are these hilarious cookies that I think they still sell them at Husky Stadium. I don't know, but it's a local company here in Seattle called Cow Chip Cookies, which is hilarious. Like it's a terrible image for like a cup, but somehow it works. Some of the branding works. Um, But they are like these delicious buttery, um, like chocolate chip cookies. And I was volunteering once in high school and we like were like, one of the things we were doing was like, sell. I can't, we're like raising money for swim team. I can't remember what it was, but we were like, (laughs) we're selling these cookies in Husky stadium. And then of course, like we, you know, ate a whole bunch of the extras and I'm sure I gave myself like a horrible stomach ache, but like, these are just like the best, best butteriest chocolate chip cookies. So really I like, I live for a chocolate chip cookie. I know. I agree. Um, I was at lunch the other day. It was my yesterday. It's there's a place called BJ's. I'm sure you probably have one up there. Um, they have like a pizuki and they're what just, that? it's like, it's called pizuki. It's like a pizza cookie and they're little and they're in these trays and they're hot. And they oh, have was it the ones that come in the cast iron? Yes. Oh, cast yes. Iron yeah. That's, that's right. Funny. The cast yeah. iron cookie. And I always go there and I'm like, they used to be able to split them in half. You get half one, half the other. And they're like, oh, we don't do that. It's only minis. I'm like, I feel like I'm picking out if I get more than one. So no, I have to choose. And I usually have to choose a chocolate chip with the ice cream on top. So soft, so yeah. good. But then it gets real hard in the middle where the ice cream like shocks it. But, yeah. you know, uh, I had that the other day and I was like, God, so good. And can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm sure with, a uh, two kiddos under five, I'm sure cookies are quite the, the bride. Oh yeah. My daughter, I mean, my little one is 10 months old, so he's, he's not on that journey yet, but, uh, my, my bigger one is like, oh man, she has a sweet tooth. So yes. Um, there are, there are lots of cookies in my house, so I just try not to 
house them all because unlike my four-year-old, I do not actually like run around the twenty-four uh, sevens. <laughs> right. And and that's that's like it's hard because you the snacks and stuff are great, but then you just are like, don't don't eat them. But then you're like, man, those goldfish are so good. Yeah. Or you know, can I have one? Or sometimes I'll eat the last one. You're like, man, I kind of wanted one. And yeah, I feel like also I I really like, you know, you have these ideals before you're a parent. Um, and then like you're like, I'm not gonna have kid food. Like we're just gonna serve her. And I'm like, yeah, right. Now my house is full of like goldfish. And you know, we got dino nuggets for days in the <laughs> freezer. And like, yeah, you're just like, okay, who am I kidding? Like, you know, because you like you want them to eat. And so you're like, this mac and cheese. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're you like go, it's like kind of like when you have the parents, like my I think my sister did this too. She like we're going to make our own baby food and you're going to mix it and you're going to get the stuff and you know, like, what are you no, thinking? In, in what world? Yeah, no, I, no, I'm not that, I'm not that mom. I learned, I was like, I didn't even think I was going to be that mom. I just, yeah. So I'm very much not that mom. I'm very, I mean, I praise the mothers that do that and good for you, but I just were like, I'm going to buy the jars and waste, you know, spend all the money. And then you've got like the cloth diapers that you're like, I don't want to buy diapers. <laughs> But gosh, like I hate laundry. That just sounds awful. But you, I mean, I get both worlds, but if you could do it, more power to you. Yeah, do do what you want for sure. But like, yeah, I, it's not, it's not going to happen on my, in my world. (laughs) I have have a few other things on my plate also. Heck yeah. I don't even, if I'm out of paper plates, I'm like, use your hands. (laughs) (laughs) So we, um, you have quite a few books out. And so what is your, background how did you get into writing novels or all fiction and where do you gain like those inspiration I know they're very women driven let's let's dive into that yeah so I yeah I just have my my latest which is my fourth novel women are the fiercest creatures which came out in the beginning of March um and so yeah I've been I've been at it for a while now my first book came out in 2016 um and I was really a writer all my life you know I loved writing when I was a kid um it was what I always wanted to do so I got into book publishing after I graduated college I was like I was creative writing major in college um and people love to tell me uh, during that time they're like oh yeah okay I'm, I'm so sure like that's you know like the people treated it like it was like a dumb major which is really funny because I think I'm like doing more what my major in college was than, than most people I know right um, um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I really, that was what I always wanted to do. And I've always just had, I've just always had story ideas. Like that's just kind of how my brain works. Like it took me a while to understand that like everyone else didn't have that, that they weren't like sort of living with this other narrative in their head the way that I am. So, um, so yeah, I, I was always working on that. And then, you know, just like most authors, I tried for many, many years to get published and finally broke through. Um, I have a wonderful agent. I've been with her for nine years. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been really interesting. I worked in book publishing for a long time. I worked for Random House when I was in my twenties. And then when I moved back to Seattle, I worked for some local companies here. So I've just always, I've always been a huge reader, obviously. So I just, I really love books. Um, it's a huge part of my life. I've just gotten into podcasting in the last couple of years. Uh, that's been a really fun sort of way to diversify my storytelling skills. Um, but yeah, and as you said, I write female driven fiction, which is handy because most people who buy novels are women. So that's a good audience to be writing to. Um, And yeah, that's who I'm interested in writing about. Um, And yeah, I mean, my, I I always describe my work as sort of um, family dramas with a hint of psychological thriller. So I I always try and keep the pages turning. I think that's my, my biggest job as an author is just keep people hooked. 
Absolutely. And um, women are the fiercest creatures. Um, even the blurb on the back. I mean, do you write your own blurbs or do you have someone that does that? Oh, no. Blurbs are written by your fellow authors. So right. that's, yeah. So you send, you send it out, you ask your author buddies to to give you blurbs and they say something nice about your book. So it's all oh, I guess maybe I'm using the wrong term. Maybe not blurbs. So the, um, oh, the cover, the cover copy. Yeah. The back, like what it's about. Yeah. My publisher writes that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, usually I it's good. And I'm reading, I'm like, Ooh, like who's, you know, it's all about mom who got divorced and then has other ex-husbands like selling the company and then he's got a younger wife. And so yeah. it's just kind of like this great like thing. And it's just like, Oh, and it's, you know, moms, you got some moms sprinkled in there and high, high profile stuff. And so when I got this book originally, I thought it was like a self-help book. And then I looked it up because I was like, okay, this is women empowerment. And then I, I'm like, oh, never mind. It's no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not, it's Glenn, Glenn and Doyle vibes. Like, yeah, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not writing self-help anytime soon. Um, but. And where did you gain the, um, so this is, it's in Seattle and about obstacles that women must navigate. And, um, you know, it, it's very, it sounds like twists and turns. Where did you gain your inspiration for this? story do you know someone well, is it based no. on the story <laughs> um no I mean I definitely my so yeah the story is about um it's about these it's from the perspective of these two women Sam and Anna and they have a common ex right so one's their ex-husband one is their ex-boyfriend um and they both made huge contributions to the company that he's about to take public for quite a lot of money so he's a tech entrepreneur um and so it's it's really a lot about how sort of women's contributions are kind of get written out of the stories of companies or written out of history altogether. I really, you know, and all, all the characters, three characters, three female characters are all moms. Um, for me, this really becoming a mom was what inspired this book. I started writing it when I was pregnant with my daughter, who's now four and a half, and I finished writing it when I was pregnant with my son, who's 10 months old. So I definitely was just thinking a lot about how, um, about how women are really capable of, I mean, and not to say that women are capable, women are capable of, of all the incredible things that men are. And then also childbirth, which is this incredible, like, you know, going through that, I was like, holy cow, like, this is the most, you know, and I was really lucky. I had really good experiences with childbirth both times, but I, you know, and I know not everyone has an empowering experience. Um, but right. I, you know, for me, I was just like, this is the most incredible, like physical, mental, emotional feat. And like regular women, just like ordinary women are just out there doing this every day. And it's this incredible thing. And so I just thought like, wow, like women are so underestimated fundamentally. And, and so I think that's really kind of what what got that sort of the spirit of the book, you know, and then as far as the story, like I live in Seattle, would become very much a tech city. Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm 41. And so I'm sort of in that elder millennial generation where like, we didn't grow up with social media, but we saw it come to life. And like most of the social media founders are about our age. So I think it was just really interesting to think about how like men have been so dominant in that narrative and like how that happened. And a lot of that made its way into the book. I love that. And yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm 38. So it's, it's one of those, like I grew up without a cell phone, but I got it right, right. around the time I was driving. And then social media came out when we were college, when it was just yeah. the college kids. And now it's right. like, like, now it's right. just crazy. And yeah, so and we're like, we're the last people that will remember what life was like before the internet, which is wild. 
Yeah. I actually brought up the other day, like a duck phone. My dad had a duck phone and it <laughs> quacked and it was a cord phone and it's the most archaic thing. And I, I mean, just, but like the duck phone, I mean, if you, did you watch Jersey Shore? Yeah, but that's from, yeah, the, that's, but this was pre Jersey Shore. Oh, we I know, but I'm just pre. saying like the duck, the duck yeah. phone has its place in like, you know, cultural iconography, right? Like the duck, but yes, I remember. I think my grandparents might've had a duck phone also. <laughs> you put it in the room and my, it was called a duck room and it quacked at you. And I was just like back in the day when you had rotary phones and things and my kids are all on the phones now and you'll, you'll, you'll see it comes Ugh. and you're just like, I didn't have that. Or, you know, I think I said, why did I say something the other day? And they're like, what's, what's that? I'm like, oh gosh. Oh man. You know, well, even my nanny is 23 and she's wonderful, but I was trying to explain to her what dial up internet was the other day. And I was like, making, I was like, yeah, I made this sound like, eek. And like, that's like anyone who's our age, like knows that sound. And she just looked at me like I was nuts. And I was like, yeah. And you couldn't be on the phone and also right. be on that. And she was like, what? <laughs> like, I like, forgot you couldn't be on the phone when it was oh, dialing funny. up because we had the same thing. So, I remember like, that. Yeah, like, get off the phone, phone on the internet. Yeah. I mean, it was just like that completely, like, uh, she looked at me like I was talking about like a, like a, you know, dictaphone and like a, you know, yeah, it, just, it was hilarious. Oh, I know. And so it's, it, your kids will, they think they have like ads and I'm like, those are called commercials. You know, back in the day we didn't, couldn't, you know, when you wanted to watch something, you taped it and then you hoped and yeah. prayed someone didn't tape over it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Yeah. So, um, but you know, as we weaving all those things in, I'm sure it's, um, it's fun for you to play, especially as like a novelist, because you can be your own creative and you can dictate your own. Um, what was your favorite character out of all three of the women in this one? You said there were three women. Yes. Um, yeah. So there's the, the ex-wife, the ex-girlfriend and the new wife are the three characters. And you hear from the, you get the perspective of the, of Anna and Sam. Um, and yeah, Sam, Sam is for sure my favorite. So she is, um, she is a yoga entrepreneur. She's a single mom and she has come to this book to settle an old score that she's realized she can't let go. And so um, that's who I started with. That's, you know, I started this book with, with her sort of story um, when I started writing it and just was very intrigued of this idea of like, you know, when you, when something happens and it really upends your life and then you just tell yourself you're going to move on. And sometimes that's possible. And sometimes you find out it's not possible. And I actually have to go and try and make things right. And, and I can't just sort of pretend that this never happened to me. Right, right, right. And so what kind of feedbacks do you get for your novels? Like, has anybody ever come and ask? I've asked this before to another author who it, it ended up becoming a movie. And he's like, there's people that come up to him like, is that me? Like that character? Oh, you that say that? yes. I mean, I, I have had that for sure. I don't think I've had anybody do that with this book, but I've gotten some like I've gotten some letters where, you know, the most poignant one was from my last book and a friend of mine wrote me a letter and she wrote me this like long apology letter because she recognized something in, and the last one was much more like based on um, my last novel, We Came Here to Forget was really more inspired by my real life, some real life events of mine. Um, and so I think like she recognized one of the characters saying something to the main character that she had said to me. And she wrote me this long letter of apology and it was really sweet, but I really had not 
been thinking of her when I wrote that. And what I think, and I, what I told her and what I think she didn't realize was I was like, no, no, everyone said that to me at the time. Like it, it was something that was like, it was such a theme where people were like, you have to move on. You have to get over it. Like that she for sure was not like the only person that said that. And I had not even been thinking of like, oh, this is something my friend said to me that I was just thinking like, this was something everyone said to me. So it's very interesting. And in addition to that, I've gotten some, like, I've gotten a couple of like random emails out of the blue from like ex-boyfriends before where they were like, <laughs> I'm really sorry I was trash. And like, it, it was, which, the funny thing was, it wasn't even like one of the really nice ones where I was like, you weren't like this. And then I I was so bemused by this until my therapist pointed out, like, do you think that you, he thinks you based one of your characters on him? And I was like, maybe. I was like, <laughs> but that really made me laugh. Yeah, I think like, and then the funny thing is like, so I think that is a theme. Like people think things are based on them when they're not. And then if something really is based on someone, they don't tend to recognize it. As long sure. as you don't make them look like them, right? Like you have to just change their hair color. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, because it's kind of like, I'm so sorry. You're like, that was not you. But right. you should probably go deal with that. You should probably go yeah. handle that situation because, but we're always people just human nature to think about themselves. Like, and if well, they know you never know, you never know what like sort of like, it's it's an interesting opportunity to think about like how you live in other people's heads right because we carry around all this stuff that's happened to us and like something that seems like a really big deal to us or something that we think we did wrong or like might really not have like impacted the other person whereas like also you know the same is true where something that was like a very casual interaction to us either for better or for worse might have had a huge impact on something you know you might say something casually that's really, you know, I think things have, people have said things to me that were really positive. That was, or just a throwaway comment, but they said like the right thing at the right time. And I held on to it for years and like, you, you never know. So, I mean, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good moment to sort of be like, oh, wow. Like we all live in e- each other's memories and imaginations too. And so like, you know, you should choose your words carefully because they might really live in someone's head for a long time in, in a good way or in a, in a negative way. Absolutely. Cause we all filter things this different way. So you can, you and I can hear the same exact thing and take it completely different. Yeah. Just because that's the way we hear it. We take our own experiences, our own feelings, our own personality. And you're just like, it's crazy. So when you read, which is so great about, you know, such a creative outlet, podcasting, writing, those types of things, movie making, it's, you have all intentions to do this, but everyone's got their own takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, then that's, that's like, you know, that's, I don't read reviews of my books anymore. I learned that lesson pretty fast Um, because it's sort of like, you know, you just don't, if for positive, again, or for better or worse. And it's not like, because people are just out there saying so many mean things about my books. I mean, some people are, but like you, you realize that like, actually you put that out in the world and then people interpret it through their own experience. And that actually has nothing to do with you. Right. So, so it's sort of not your business, right. What people, what other people think of your work. And it's always really nice when someone says something nice about your work and when they reach out and stuff, that means a lot to me. But I think in terms of like, kind of like you put it out there and then people are going to relate to it for all of their own personal reasons. And that's just how people relate to art. And that's, that's just interesting. Right. You can't get that's, I mean, I actually never listened to any of my podcasts. I'm overly critical of myself. I'll listen to it and think, oh my gosh. So I don't actually listen to them. I let my team do that. I'm like, you guys look yeah. through it. I know that this happened. And so maybe go look in yeah. around this yeah. time. But I 
I'm overly critical. And so I know that about myself. It's it's helpful to have editors. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. And if you know that about yourself, then you can accept it and be like, well, I just, I know that I, I also remember, I'm like, I had that conversation. I'm good. I don't need to hear it again. I mean, (laughs) but I'm just overly critical. And then when people ask or say anything, it's like, well, that's up to your interpretation or what did you bring from that? Or, you know, I also don't want to edit it either because if I took something with somebody said it, that person might, that's listening might not have taken it that way. And I might have robbed them from that opportunity to listen to the actual, you know, yeah. message or whatever they had said. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you hope people will take away from your novels, your stories? You have a, have a podcast that, you know, you get to have another creative outlet for, um, what do you hope and uh, what are your goals? Yeah, I mean, you know, they differ from project to project. I think for my for my fiction, I think my I see my main role as a novelist is to be an entertainer, right? Like I think that if people sit down and they read my books and it keeps them engaged and they get a little break from their lives and that's the extent of it. I'm very happy with that. Right. I think that that's like a really, it's a nice, it's a nice thing for your brain. It's like reading is a nice piece of self-care. So if that's what it's doing for people, I'm very happy. I obviously do have like a strong point of view. Um, my books are, I think my books are very feminist. Um, so I certainly hope that people think about how maybe like women are getting pushed out of, you know, venture capital funding, which is something that comes up in this book, or like how women sort of are written out of the story of tech or how, you know, we really just underestimate women overall. I think like, I'm very happy if people are thinking about that and thinking about those dynamics in marriages or how we look at motherhood or, you know, those, those things. I'm, I'm happy if they, they have some deeper thoughts about that as well, but either one really is, is fine with me. You know, I put the message in there and how, again, how people interpret it is really like, is really very, very up to them. Um, certainly with the other half of my work, you know, the other, um, the book I'm working on right now is actually a nonfiction book. I'm working on a true crime book with uh, the detective who's on my podcast. We're co-writing it. Um, and that is, um, that is about the same subject as my podcast, Nobody Should Believe Me, which is an investigative podcast about Munchausen by proxy and medical child abuse, which is, um, you know, which is obviously a very serious topic. So that is, um, that is very different in terms of intention. I think like, you know, the storytelling there really serves the intention of spreading awareness. So I interview a bunch of people about their stories. We have one case that we really focus on in season one. We have another case that we're doing in season two. Um, and I talk to a lot of experts. Um, I'm on a committee with the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children, has a Munchausen by proxy committee that I'm on, joining that committee and meeting all these amazing experts and then starting to meet other people who had personal stories, you know, dads who'd been through stories, siblings, um, survivors. That really, that's, you know, I'm really trying to carry their their stories and bring them to the world and so that's a really different job you know it it has a lot in common like I think you're still trying to keep people engaged and tell a story but I think for sure that is like the stakes are obviously much higher right because we're talking about something really serious and I really want to bring it to people's attention and raise awareness that this is a real thing and that this is happening in our communities so I think it's a it's a very different it has made in a very positive way, it has made novel writing feel very light. I mean, oh. I take my novel writing seriously. I love my books. You know, I I put a lot into them. I'm very proud of them. But at the end of the day, you know, books are books. And that is, you know, the stakes are, are not what they are in the other side of my work. And then working with people, you know, working with all these people who are like, child abuse detectives and social workers and, you know, people who have spent their entire careers just like it, doing the hardest 
most gruesome work imaginable to try and help protect kids. It really puts things in perspective, I will say, about like the process of like writing and publishing a novel, which in general is like, you know, and, and we always just say this, I'm not saying this to be glib. I, I really, I, when I worked in publishing, when I worked in Random House in the publicity department and things can get, feel very serious, right? Like the stakes can feel very, very high in the entertainment world, but um, in the publishing world. And we always used to say like, at the end of the day, no one dies, right? It's books, it's piles of paper, like no one dies. And I think that that's really like, I, now now that's a very, like, real <laughs> now thing. that's a very, very real thing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's interesting how these how these two sides of my work have, have evolved. Right. And so when you're going into like actual people's lives, nonfiction, I mean, that in itself is, is almost a, an entire responsibility because you want to make sure the narrative is right. You want to make sure that yeah. the message is right and that things are accurate and that you're not um, putting something out there that's false. And then that can go a whole other way. So you said that you're are all of your stuff mainly, as you said, medical child abuse. Yeah. So do you know what Munchausen by proxy is? I, I'll, I'll take a minute to explain it to readers actually. Is that, is it, I feel like there's, um, what is, is it a movie where it's like the child ends up being a part of like, you have to be a kidney donor to somebody else or something like, is it kind of like that? They don't have rights because they're little. I, I could be completely off. Yeah. So, um, so what Munchausen by proxy is, that's the more known term, um, medical child, it, it sort of, it encompasses two things. So the way that we use it. So medical child abuse is the act of harming a child by exaggerating, uh, fabricating or inducing an illness. So the most famous case that pro people probably know is the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case. So that was the inspiration for that show, The Act on Hulu. Um, and that was, she like co-conspired with her boyfriend to murder her mom. It was a very, very like salacious case. But um, yeah, so it's it's this form of child abuse. And then there is also a, a like psychological disorder that goes along with it. Um, but it, it, I like to keep people really focused on the fact that it is abuse, right? So it is about protecting children when I think about, you know, raising awareness for it. And so um, there was a situation that that happened in my family. My sister's been investigated twice for this form of abuse. Um, she has not been charged with a crime. Um, but that is what sort of brought me to the topic. That was, it was the subject of my last novel. And then once I had that novel out and was talking about it publicly, I started to get sort of more involved and meet some of these experts and really get involved in sort of thinking about how can I help spread awareness of this? Because this is much more common than, than people realize. And most people don't even know what this is. And even most people that work with kids don't know what this is. And that's absolutely like, that's, that's really a problem because I, it's happening enough that anybody who works with children should be really well informed about what this abuse is, what it looks like, what to do if you, you know, suspect abuse. And so that's really what I'm trying to accomplish with, um, with my podcast. But, and as you said, you know, and I'm, I, true crime is a very tricky space. I think there's a lot of true crime that's really well done. Um, but there's a lot of true crime that's, that's also really can be exploitative. And I think, especially when you're talking about stuff that involves kids, Sorry, my dog has decided to start barking. Oh, oh, interviews. No worries. So just join us. Um, yeah. You know, especially when you're, especially when you're talking about something that involves children. I think we we really try and be just uber uber respectful. You know, not spend a ton of time talking about the sort of gory details and really just get to the humanity of it. And um, and yeah, I mean, and that's certainly like that's been a really interesting experience for me, just as a creator. You know, going and meeting with people and having them trust me to tell me like the worst thing that's ever happened to them, you know, and that's, that's a, that's a huge responsibility. And I take it really seriously. Yeah. I mean, every kids need advocates for sure. Kids are innocent and 
unfortunately they're the, you know, at the mercy of their, of their guardians for most part. And, um, anyone giving them an opportunity to, to speak their truth or to do, you know, be able to act on their own is very tricky. I feel like society and the justice system doesn't allow for such space. I'm learning that, um, I'm a single mom and just dealt with a divorce and there's some tricky navigation that I have to do with my three children and, um, what is allowed, what's not allowed, what's, you know, where I seem to think it's unacceptable. It's apparently acceptable in most laws and, and, and regulations. So it's like, you really, to, to navigate that and to, um, Want them have some space, and I have kids that you, know, you got age of reason, and you have you know things that you're like they're too young, or well because they're this age it doesn't matter, and it's very frustrating to navigate those things. And so bringing that to light, or maybe changing the rules, or having resources that maybe you don't know are options are always so great. So um, I think any any time that you are able to offer that is incredible. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I've learned oh. a great deal about the family court system and it's not a good time. So I, I feel no, sorry. I, and that's a whole another, <laughs> a whole another podcast, but in my opinion, it's almost a child would almost have to, to die in order for something to get changed sometimes. Unfortunately, that, unfortunately, that is usually the case. Yeah. Spot and on even, yeah. and even the action upon what could happen after is not either permanent or something that would, would really make much difference. And I, I think it's incredible on my experience with, um, you know, child protection services and, and such like that. I've had many run-ins with them with, with lots of different things. And it's like, I, I'm the one who's tied up with the four hours of everything and the, and the, this and the, that it's like, but then when it comes to the other side where the investigation really is what needs to be happening, it just gets fluffed off. It never gets any type, but you're focused so much because you go off of what a child is saying, but if you don't look or know the whole entire thing, you might, that child's not going to tell you anything yeah, or this or that. So they don't take a, any of that into consideration, I think. So there's a huge gap there. Yeah, no, for sure. There's some huge systemic problems. Yeah. So I'm sorry you're dealing with all that. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, you know, it, it, you learn a lot and you learn and all you can do is kind of take it with what you will and, and do what you can, you know, yeah. with it. but um, I encourage my listeners to go and, and check you out. Where can we find you and your books and your podcast, your website? Uh, obviously we'll have all the links in, show, in our show notes. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so my website is andreadunlop.net, and that's a great place to go to learn just all the things about me, learn about my podcast, my books there. My books are available wherever books are sold, um, and my podcast is available on Apple and Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts. That's where most people are listening to podcasts. Um, and again, that's called Nobody Should Believe Me. And then um, the only social media I'm active on these days is Instagram, but that's a great place to get in touch with me because I'm on there quite a bit. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all the things, your book, your podcast, a little bit of your life. Um, I really do uh, appreciate you being here and thank you so much and continue to do what you're doing. And um, I really encourage women are the fiercest creatures, a novel by Andrea Dunlop. That is the most current book that we were talking about and then her podcast. So uh, thank you again and um, hope you come back. Yeah. Thank you so much, Heather. Have a good one.
Yes. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Chaos and Cookies podcast. Go check out Andrea and all the things on her website. All the links are in the show notes and don't forget to rate and review and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Chaos and Cookies podcast. If you want more goodies and friends to share them with, follow the crumbs to the Facebook group or visit the Chaos and Cookies website to grab my sweet secrets on how to calm your cookies. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. See y'all next week for another episode of Chaos and Cookies.